This is All Rings Considered in our Lord of the Rings read-through series. We are on episode 16, covering book 2, chapter 4, A Journey in the Dark. A pretty iconic chapter, I would say. In this chapter, the company has decided that they need to go through the mines of Moria in order to get to the other side of the Misty Mountains. The chapter begins with actually them outside of the mines and the mountains, and they get attacked by these wargs, kind of monster wolves. After defeating them, they get to the door of the mine, and Gandalf solves a fun little riddle to actually get them into it. They then travel through the mines, and we end up in Balin's tomb. Balin was a dwarf who had gone back to sort of reclaim the mines, and we end up in the room where his his tomb is, and it turns out he, he has, in fact, failed. Uh, all the while, we have a lot of like ominous hints throughout the chapter. Frodo is hearing these light footsteps kind of behind the company, and he can't ever quite be sure that they're there or that they're what they are, but light pitter-patter footsteps... Uh, at one point, they find a well, and Pippin drops a stone down it. And after he's done so, they hear this faint, distant tapping of hammers, uh, which disturbs them a little bit. But in the end, it's gone after just a couple taps. But that's it. We we end at Balin's grave, and so we're not really sure where the plot's going to go from there. But yeah, I think, like I said, iconic chapter. Very moody, very atmospheric. I think, though, paradoxically, for as iconic as this is, as iconic as the location of Moria is and so many of these scenes... Uh, I don't really have much to say, sort of in-depth analysis. I think it's very straightforward, just good set pieces. You have the strong scene at the door with the password. I didn't mention this in summary, but you have monster attacking Frodo at the door. I think that's very memorable. And I think you had the dropping the stone down the well and hearing those distant noises. Classic stuff. But not a lot of like in-depth crazy analysis that I picked up on, at least. What about you, Pip? Uh, I think you covered it. Uh, join us next time for... There it is. Bye. The Return of the King. Um, so, yeah. Appendix I, A. <laughs> um, so, uh, just to start off, I am recording in crystal clear audio. Uh, audio is clear yeah. as as Durin's pool. Thanks to to a, a good friend of mine who, who gave me this wonderful graduation present. Um, yeah. Who will remain... Uh, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> I was going to say who will remain nameless, but I couldn't pronounce anything because I was choking. Okay. So, um. Choking up with tears. <laughs> tears of joy and gratitude and just emotion. I appreciate that. Because in case you can't tell, <laughs> I'm the one who bought that microphone. Um, yes. Thank you, Charlie. But to answer your question, this chapter, yeah, uh, I don't have a ton to say thematically. The plot I have broken up into three parts outside in the land of Holland, um, where they encounter the wolf attack, the door of Moria with the, the riddle and the encounter with the monster, which interestingly enough, we know very, very little about. And it's just a, yeah, it's just a dark thing. The, there's a lot of that in this chapter. Yeah. I think that there, there are these bigger things out there in the world right now. And I mean, when he talks about those things that are like gnawing in the depths of the earth, you, you sort of just get all these hints that, that there are like these ancient, almost like, lovecraftian things hmm. going on this is um this is the only chapter with an illustration in my edition of the book i, I think we're using the same edition um we are yeah yeah you get a nice... oh yeah this is the only illustration isn't it is it i think so not counting maps of course obviously that's 
Yeah, but you get a nice okay. uh, illustration of uh, the uh, the door of Moria. Yeah. But let's see. Uh, do, what can, do you, what, can we say something about that door for a second? Though? Sure. Good. I, I I just I've always appreciated this. The this the sort of humor that if they just read it out loud, it would have opened up, right? Yeah. Because all he has to do is say "friend" in the language it's written in, where it says "say friend," and if he didn't just translate it, like it would have opened up, which I think is funny. And I also wonder though, this is my one like thematic analysis of this chapter. By the way, my my one theme I picked up on um, is the importance of language, mm-hmm. and. This almost speaks to that, right? Like, if they actually used the original language, they would have just passed through this easily. But because they rely on the crutch of translation, they end up sort of stuck there for a little bit. And maybe that's maybe there's a lesson here, like the virtue of language. I mean, Tolkien obviously thinks language has a good deal of power, and he also thinks it has a good bit of character to it, right? Like, language is a sort of express character. Mm. One of my favorite examples of this is when Boromir says that oh moria that name is black and that's such a fun pun it's not clear in this chapter but if you look up what moria means in elvish it literally means the black pit or the black chasm mm. so it's it's Boromir's right it's it's literally it's say it's called black like that's its name the black the black pit the black chasm uh just in reference to its darkness and depths and how it got overrun by monsters and stuff Tolkien's just fantastic at language as important but also language as like meaningful Language is sort of the ultimate, uh, not just the signifier, but the signified as well. It's sort of like embedded in in the language. Yeah, um, you actually you get two other uh, examples of the importance of language right at the uh, the door of Moria. Gandalf mentions offhandedly that if you, the only way you could possibly open these doors without the password was be speaking a word of command. Um, he doesn't really say what that is, but it's some yeah. some great spell, which is a single word and he also mentions that that Gimli or that dwarves have their own secret language that they teach no one else and also I mean on the subject of languages the dwarf language I guess not the one that they teach everyone else I'm not super up on up to date on my Tolkien uh history of each language but I I love that each language always has a good sound to it that really fits so the dwarves speak with it. I mean, this term Khazad-dûm, which is their name for Moria, is such a great... It just sounds so distinct from any of the Elvish words we've heard, right? As right. well as any of the sort of English terms we've heard. So very distinctly dwarven. I love that. Oh, one thing I want to mention before we get too far in the plot. I mentioned last episode that I would continue a little bit about the um, uh, the theme of Gandalf and his use of fire. And previously... Gandalf mentions that he cannot light a fire without anybody or without uh, something to burn. And we kind of pointed out how that kind of has a parallel relationship with how Gandalf wields a ring that inspires courage. And this kind of Gandalf's role is to inspire courage, but he has to have uh, other beings in whom to uh, inspire courage. Here uh, at the wolf attack, he actually, Gandalf shows some, you know, of his... Uh, his prowess with fire and he uh, lights up the whole area. The trees go ablaze, but he actually doesn't strike any of the, the wargs with this spell. He lights up yeah. the swords and uh, of the defenders and Legolas's arrow becomes a, a fiery bolt. But yeah, so here he is actually doing that. What he kind of mentioned in the uh, previous chapter. But yeah, I just wanted to hit that before 
we get to inside Moria, which is a very it's a very distinct place. Yeah. There there you know, there are a lot of places in this journey where I think, you know, they aren't as just completely in and of themselves unique uh, as as Moria mm. is. Yeah, I mean it's definitely one of the most I call the chapter iconic, and I think Moria though is, as a location is iconic as far as Middle Earth sites and locations. And there has it's one of the first times we've been somewhere that there hasn't been anything quite like it before as far as like the Hobbit, I guess. Um, because in the Hobbit when they went in the Misty Mountains, they go in these goblin tunnels, but it's not quite the same. I mean you gotta you have this vision of this labyrinth here in Moria of dwarf tunnels and they're they would be really nice and it's this great ancient civilization all underground, all in the pitch black darkness. <laughs> and nobody's there. Yeah, and, and totally abandoned. And I, I do love the atmosphere of, again, the footsteps following behind them that we know as the interested reader is Gollum. As advanced readers, we... As advanced, <laughs> the advanced readers. <laughs> uh, and I and those that hammer sound when Pippin drops the stone in the well. And there's just two, two sets of two taps each, right? So I guess four total, like a... Uh, tom tap and a tap tom or something it says <laughs> um that's it very faint or very few i should say but gimli recognizes it it's definitely a hammer very creepy very cool sort of atmosphere and i like that because they're trapped in this place there's not much they can do i mean gandalf says oh it kind of worries me but in the end i mean what can we do <laughs> except yeah. keep going you just get out of here there's nothing i, I that's just a cool feeling when you're it's a cool feeling for the reader to get i think of just total trappedness and claustro- almost claustrophobia uh, combined with that sense of dread and fear of the unknown of those those things again that Gandalf says the, the older and fouler things than orcs that, that dwell in the deep places of the world Charlie you kind of you gave me an idea yeah coming into this chapter or coming into this episode I didn't really have a sense of what I wanted to say thematically for for this chapter kind of like you mentioned it's just kind of a bunch of uh, powerful scenes back to back, but I want to take a stab. So I'm going to do a, a okay. freestyle stab. Uh, we'll do it live. Let's do it. So last chapter they were attacking the cliffs of uh, of Caradras, and in contrast to this chapter, scaling a mountain is the obvious, conspicuous challenge. You know what you're up against, even if it's something that they fail at. You know what it is. It's um, it's a giant mountain, unmistakable, unmissable. In this chapter, each of the three encounters that they have are encounters with the unknown. So first, they're in the darkness. In the wargs, the you know monster wolves come out from the darkness. And then second, they are attacked from the dark waters. And then last, they enter into the darkness itself. And so the in contrast to the previous chapter where they have gone to the obvious challenge, now they're entering the unknown. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm still not sure exactly what to make of this. I'm, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how going. That's how doing it live looks, <laughs> folks. Yeah, it, for those at home, to that. It's it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> following along. I think it's it's okay for now to not really necessarily have an answer to that. Yeah, I guess, or to have a final thought. But it's interesting to note. Yeah, I, was, I like that. I wasn't exactly sure what to make of the death at the end. Fallen's death? Yeah. Uh, did you have any thoughts about that? 
Um, I mean, I think it's one more example of building on The Hobbit and showing sort of the passage of time and showing the sort of the adventure has to continue and like some of these characters in The Hobbit are now dead. And um, so I, I, I like that thematically. I think there's a bit of atmosphere here too. It's a good cliffhanger to end on of they get to this tomb and he's dead and it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, really good last line. We've talked about Tolkien always. He always ends these chapters with the best the best lines, right? Or I think we were talking about books before so we ended. With the, I was talking about lines, paragraphs. Paragraphs, that was it. Paragraphs, yeah. yeah. He's always so great at that and we have a great ending to this chapter where it's just, you know, here it is written in the tongues of men and dwarves, Balin, son of Fundin, lord of Moria. He is dead then, said Frodo. I feared it was so. Gimli cast his hood over his face. Cool. Nice, just great cliffhanger. I do know that uh, based on the uh, I think it's one of Tolkien's letters. He says that this was a point when he stopped writing for a long time. Hmm. He got to this point, didn't know where to go from there. So it's a perfect place, I think, for him to take in a break. And it's a perfect place for the reader, too, I think, to kind of like be in suspense. So, yeah, very, very nice ending. Yeah, and we're actually uh, we're about to hit maybe one of the most action-packed chapters, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, that, the next chapter, I'm excited to talk about that too. Some most action, certainly the most action in this in this book, book two, that is. We'll have to get some some background music, some thematic drums yeah. for next episode. Yeah, dum-dum, dum-dum. Yeah, do you have any final thoughts? Should we just go to favorite lines? Final thoughts? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm about done. Okay. I have one final thought. It's not a sub- substantive one, but uh, last chapter we well i think it was two episodes ago we were talking about this but it was about last chapter uh tolkien's chapter names i don't think are very strong and in this read through i was picking up on how a journey in the dark well we already had a knife in the dark in book one i think it's just a pale journey in the dark (laughs) kind of unoriginal (laughs) yeah come on tolkien like step step up your chapter names if you think about it, most of his chapter names are pretty boring. They're pretty just self-explanatory yeah, stuff. This book is unreadable. <laughs> Love the Hobbit, though. Um, <laughs> um, we get a nice chapter title next chapter, The Bridge of Khazad Doom. That's a good chapter title. I'll give you that, especially considering what happens in it. It's it's one of those titles that becomes... It's better, actually, once you've read the chapter and you just realize, oh, my God, like that's the name for what just happened. Good stuff. Let's see. I'm, I'm flipping through chapters here. The Shadow of the Past. That's pretty. That's pretty good. See, I don't like that one. You like that? The Shadow of the Past. It sounds. Uh, I think it. Well, it's good. I, I like that one on a sort of practical level. In, in case, sorry for the audience. We're looking at. We're just looking at table contents and looking at all the chapter <laughs> titles. That's book one, chapter two. The Shadow of the Past. I I, I like that on a thematic level because we've been talking about the events of the Hobbit as sort of. Like the unintended mistakes and unintended consequences of those events in the shadow of the past is a good sort of allusion to that. But other than that, I don't know. Like a conspiracy unmasked, I always thought was kind of bad, a bad title. So so many times he does very simple ones like the old forest, ah, because they're in the old forest. <laughs> Strider, <laughs> Strider, because he Strider shows up. I actually kind of like that one though because it's sort of mysterious title. I do tend to like a good mysterious title, right? Or like a good simple one if it's kind of got some mystery to it. You know what? We and should a... we should rank these. We we'll we'll rank have a Charlie t- ranking system. <laughs> we'll do that every chapter now. 
Yes. Okay. So I give a journey in the dark. This is one of my lowest ones. It's unoriginal. Okay. Because it uses in the dark again. We already saw a knife in the dark, so we can't have it. That's just stupid to have it again. It's not. I don't see any thematic depth to it. And I don't see any sort of evocative power. So I give this one uh, three and a half out of ten. Okay. Three and a half rings out of ten. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, my favorite line of this chapter, um, I really do like the immense darkness of of Moria and that imagery. Um, and so here we go. This is when they enter in the big dark chamber. Mm. Oh, I know um, where I know which one you're going to read. Mm. I have marked this too. Get ready. Not my favorite, but it's it's fantastic. <laughs> I know what you're going to read. It's not my favorite. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I figured you were going to you were going to pick the. Uh... The poor man's. <laughs> well, I, I'm not an advanced reader, so I, you know. No, yeah. Um, well, here it goes. All about them as they lay hung the darkness, hollow and immense, and they were oppressed by the loneliness and vastness of the Dolven halls and endlessly branching stairs and passages. The wildest imaginings that dark rumor had ever suggested to the hobbits fell altogether short of the actual dread and wonder of Moria. And I, I really like that description that of Moria because it's something that Tolkien often does with seemingly contradictory yes. uh, uh, feelings or uh, descriptions of uh, of experience. Um, it's the dread and the darkness, but also the wonder mm-hmm. of, of this area. Oh, that's so good, yeah. The dread and wonder. That would, See, that would be a good chapter title. Dread and wonder? Yeah. One alternate day, alternate chapter titles chapters <laughs> of the Lord of the Rings. You know what? Let's let's. I have a great this idea. One, <laughs> Why this not? This one is dread and wonder. Dread and wonder. All right. Well, uh, be per- yeah, that would into, be perfect. Into the chapter, we will uh, we will rate the chapter name, and then we'll have we'll have a new one. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, our our alternative. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite lines toward the end after they've talked about Mithril a bit and the Gandalf mentions to Gimli that, oh, you know, Bilbo had a Mithril jacket and Gimli kind of freaks out and says, that's pretty incredible. And Frodo's sitting there the whole time. Cause they don't, they don't realize that he's wearing that, that Mithril mail coat underneath his clothes. But he says here, now his thoughts had been carried away from the dark mines to Rivendell to Bilbo and to Bag End in the days while Bilbo was still there. He wished with all his heart that he was back there, and in those days, mowing the lawn or pottering among the flowers, and that he had never heard of Moria, or Mithril, or the Ring. I love the sense here of, uh, the the kind of pauses Tolkien has built into this line are really powerful, I think, in terms of getting into Frodo's mental state. You have that he had never heard of Moria, or Mithril, and then you have this uh, sort of M-dash or the ring. And then you also have a paragraph break after that, like a, in a line break, I guess. So there's some white space between that paragraph and the next. So it's just a very good closure as far as just getting you to Frodo's mind. And, Master yeah, of I like it. paragraph endings. It really is. Another great paragraph ending. Fantastic. You know what I like about this book? When the paragraph stopped. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Tolkien was the master of shutting up. <laughs> and of just stopping. Those were well, his best moments. Let's uh let's follow the master and Yeah. And end here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a lame ending, but okay.
We're learning. We're getting better. So join us next time for Chapter 5, Tentatively, The Bridge of Khazad-Dum. Mm-hmm.